You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. Well, let me tell you, today is a day of great joy because our joy is not in the Carolina Panthers. Our joy is not in the Florida Gators as of yesterday. Our joy is not in the political arena. Our joy is not in the stock market. Our joy comes down from heaven, and his name is Jesus. And we need to know that. Because if there's any time we feel overwhelmed, it's during this time of year. Additional stress comes because there's not enough money. There's shopping to be done. There are family issues. There's travel. There's weight gain. But I've got good news for you. There is joy in Jesus, and joy comes down from heaven, and it makes possible a way through the circumstances that we are faced in spite of them. And that's the grand theme of this remarkable book of Philippians. So before we jump back into this letter from Paul, let's gain some perspective. Remember, Paul writes this letter of joy and rejoicing and celebrating from prison, Paul is an example of someone who can have joy regardless of his circumstances because his joy is in the Lord, not in his circumstances. Let me tell you where we're headed today. Last week, we ended chapter 1, so naturally, we would start chapter 2, verse 1 today. Not so fast. I want to reserve chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 for the Christmas Eve message. So we're actually going to see the second half of Philippians 2 today. And before we delve into jumping at verse 12 and going forward, basically in the heart of that passage, starting in verse 17, is this. I am glad, writes the guy from prison, who has no family, who doesn't know if he's going to get out of jail alive. He says, I am glad. Now, this is not a denial of his reality. It's the recognition that the presence of God for him is a greater reality. So he says, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's point is that he wants our joy to be contagious so that others join with us in our joy of the Lord. So why should I rejoice? Paul is going to give us three reasons. We're going to find it in our text. We're actually stepping back then into verse 12. He writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Three reasons to rejoice. Number one, God is for you. Many people don't know this. Don't believe this. Don't trust this. We especially doubt it when we are faced with difficult circumstances, undesirable situations, and we think God must be out to get us. He's not. Satan is against you. God is for you. You see, God's heart is a father's heart. That means he will always see you as a blessing, not as a burden. The second reason 
Paul would write is that God lives in you. A second reason to rejoice. Not only is God ruling over all, He is reigning in the lives of those who call on Him. That means you're not abandoned. You're not alone. That Christianity is not a to-do list. Christianity is about a relationship. Back to that verse 13. God works in you to will and to act. Now, the Old Testament would talk about gaining a new heart. The New Testament is all about a new birth. By giving Jesus your sin and receiving his life and salvation. What he's talking about is the fact that God is at work in you. How many of you could testify that God has done a work in you? If you are a Christian, then God is up to something in your life. And from what we saw in chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago, we are assured that God who starts this work in you will finish it. That God will not forsake you. God will not betray you. God will not abandon you. So you get a new mind, a new heart, and a new will. Most people don't know this. Christians don't obey because we have to. We obey because we get to. Because at the deepest level, we want to. That means our desires change. You don't have to pray. You want to pray. You don't have to read the Bible. You want to read the Bible. You don't have to be forgiven. You get to be forgiven. And the third reason Paul writes is that God partners with you. Now, this raises the question regarding our salvation. What does God do? What, what do you do? Another way of putting it, what is God responsible for? What are you responsible for? And this is where we need to go back and pick up that verse 12 and understand the phrase that Paul writes, work out your salvation. Because it looks like that means it's up to us. So salvation is totally up to you and me. Is that what Paul is getting at? Actually, the Greek has a little different wording. And it's your own salvation, work it out. Now, you got to realize, it's not your salvation. It's the salvation that God has given you. God has saved you. And what he's saying is, take that, take what God has given you in your salvation and put it into practice. Work it out. Make use of it. You see, as far as you being a Christian... All that work is being done by God. That's God's work for you. That through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Him and His in your place for your sins. So God does all of that for you. He brings you salvation. And then God does a work in you. And He takes your old heart, metaphorically speaking, and gives you a new heart. He takes your old nature and gives you a new nature. He takes your old will and gives you a new will. He takes your old mind and gives you a new mind. So ultimately, it's God who initiates. We respond. That's how he partners with us. God saves us, and then we grow to become more like his son, Jesus Christ. God forgives us so we can forgive others. God inspired the scriptures so we can open them and learn from them. God welcomes us to pray and bring to him our burdens and needs. All of those are ways that we partner with him. Here's the big idea. God 
doesn't just want to make you better. He wants to make you new. He wants to give you joy, joy that this world cannot understand because it's found solely in God and it comes down from Jesus. The angel says, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Jesus is born. Joy comes down with Jesus. Here's more of what Paul writes. Do everything without grumbling, that's complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Now, what generation is Paul talking about? The answer, every generation. Because every generation is warped and, and crooked. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. You will shine the light of Jesus into a dark world as you love, as you forgive, as you have joy, as you walk in obedience so that others will see how to find safe harbor and enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. And then he's going to talk about how he might die. He says, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Paul says, even if they kill me, they can't take my joy. Why? Why can Paul say that? Because his joy is not tied to his circumstances. His joy is tied to the Lord. He says, so you should be glad and rejoice with me. All this to say, you have a choice. You don't have to complain and argue about everything. You let God begin making a new you out of you. So it's possible to walk with God. It's possible to love your spouse. It's possible to love your kids. It's possible to be generous with your resources. It's possible to serve others. None of us is perfect, but it's about progress, letting God take you as you are and working His way in you. So now, after establishing why we should have joy, Paul is going to give us two testimonies, one from Timothy, the other from a man named Epaphroditus. Now, you know, the world has expressions like, they pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Or they, they actualize their potential. The Bible, on the other hand, talks about how God is the one who provides and attends and secures and sustains and delivers. So these are testimonies about what it means to live the joy of the Lord. You know, as Nehemiah 8 says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. First, the testimony is of Timothy. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Remember, Paul is in prison in Rome. They are in Philippi. It's 800 miles away. They heard that Paul was in jail, so they sent Timothy to go check in on him. So I'm going to send Timothy to you soon that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him, 
Now think about this. Think about all the missionary journeys that Paul took and all the incredible believers that he had around him. I mean, they'd be like first-round draft picks. And yet Paul says of Timothy, I have no one else like him. May we become such a person like that to others. Somebody who is faith-filled and genuine and, well, not overtly selfish. I mean, we're all selfish. But one who has great concern for others, which Paul says Timothy will show. Genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. This world is filled with people who ask, what can I gain? How do I benefit? What's in it for me? Here's what I can say with certainty. Selfish people are miserable people because all they care about is themselves and and wanting more and not having enough. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Paul, as best we can tell, was never married. Therefore, he had never had any children. We know almost nothing about Timothy's father. So what we have is a younger man with perhaps no father and an older man with no son. And in Jesus Christ, they become like family, father and son. Here's just another example of the primary metaphor for the church, which is family. When the Bible describes what the church is like, it doesn't use language like a business. It doesn't say that we're about entertainment or politics. It says we're a family. And what you've come to know about the church is that God is your father, Jesus is your big brother, and that you have brothers and sisters, and when you're a part of the church, they're a real blessing. That's because the Spirit of God makes us family. And if your biological family also loves Jesus, then you are doubly blessed. Paul continues, I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. He's in prison. He's writing this letter, and he's going to send it back through Epaphroditus, whom we'll meet next. Timothy is still with him, and Paul says, ultimately, Timothy is going to come to you soon, and I hope to join him. In Acts chapter 14, Paul shows up in a town called Lystra. He preaches about Jesus, and guess what? A riot ensues. And what happens to Paul is they go after him. They seek his life by stoning him, by throwing rocks at him. They take him outside the town and leave him for dead. He's unconscious, but he's not dead. Bruised, bloodied, beaten. Guess what he does next? He goes back into the town. You know why? Because if you're committed to Jesus Christ, even if someone is cruel and mean, it, needs, it, it means they need Jesus Christ. He goes back because he does what's best for them, not what's best for him. 
Ultimately, he's going to leave. Sometime later, on another missionary journey, he returns to this town, and it says that that's where Timothy joins with him. Now, if there were ever a list of people not to travel with, the Apostle Paul should be number one on the list. Because what happens every time he goes into a new town? Some uproar, to be sure. And yet, Timothy says, where do I sign up? What an incredible encouragement Timothy is to Paul. We all need people like this in our life and pray that you can be like that to someone else. Well, the other guy that Paul mentions is Epaphroditus. He says, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother. Now, let me pause there a second. In the relationship between Paul and Timothy, it was more of father-son because I think the age difference. Here, we can guess that Epaphroditus is more Paul's age. So he refers to him as my brother, but more than that, co-worker, fellow soldier who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs, where is it? I'm losing it. It's because I went the wrong way. I need help, Kara. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. What Paul is saying is that, look, it's tough enough coming with joy in the Lord while I'm in prison. Lord, please don't let this great friend who's been sent die on me. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy. What a great way to receive others with great joy. Receive your spouse with great joy. Receive your kids with great joy. Receive your brothers and sisters in Christ with great joy and honor people like him. What Paul is doing is establishing the culture of the church. We stated from week one that the Philippian church is probably the happiest, holiest, healthiest church in the New Testament. Nowhere in Paul's letter is the word sin mentioned, not because they're perfect, but because they're making progress. Here's a secret to joy. Joy comes when there is an environment of honoring. How many of you grew up in a home that was dishonoring? The kids trash mom, mom trashes dad, dad trashes everybody. It's why the holidays are really painful for some people. You don't want to be in a dishonoring environment. That's joyless. How do I know? Because right now in heaven, there is nothing but joy. No angels are trash-talking each other. It's a culture of honor. They are honoring the Lord. The Lord is honoring them. The departed saints who are there in the presence of God right now are not being dishonored. God is not bringing up all of their past failures. Why do we do that? If you will choose honor, it will bring joy. And people want to be in that environment where they hear, I'm proud of you, I love you, I see progress. Paul writes about Epaphroditus. 
because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. That's the story of Epaphroditus. And and here's what's going on for Paul in prison. The problem with the Roman jail is that you barely have any provisions. Food, maybe. Clothing, maybe. You certainly don't get justice. There's no civil rights. There's no court-appointed attorney. So Paul needed someone to bring him provisions and encouragement. The Philippian church had taken up an offering and somebody needs to get that offering to Paul. Apparently Epaphroditus Epaphroditus signed up for that. But it wasn't easy. He had to travel 800 miles. It would take about six weeks to get there and he became sick and almost died. But Paul honors him. And he tells the Philippian church, hey, when he returns, you honor him too. And Paul honors Timothy. Uh, Timothy has a platform. He preaches and teaches and pastors a church. And Paul honors Epaphroditus. He doesn't have a platform. He works and serves behind the scenes. What I'd like for you to understand is what's behind this letter to the Philippians is God. And if you misunderstand the character of God, then you misunderstand what it means to be godly, which is to rely on the grace and power of God so that you can become more like His Son. And the only way you can do that is that if you're not obsessed with yourself, but obsessed with the grace and goodness of God, and that's what this season is all about. Let's pray. Father God, you are an awesome God. I love the fact that when the Bible talks about you and your presence, there is so much talk about joy. And thank you that joy is not something we need to create. It's something you create. And we simply participate in joy as we come to know you, as we invite the joy of Jesus Christ into our lives, into our communities, into our families, into our church. Thank you that we're loved, we're forgiven, we're adopted into a family that never ends through Jesus Christ who taught us to pray saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.